This is Online Communist Forum, uh, organised jointly by CPGB and uh, Labour Party Marxists. And this week we've got a debate between Tony Greenstein and Jack Conrad on uh, what, what kind of, what, what do we want? A uh, mass communist party, that's Jack Conrad, or a broad left uh, formation. Um, so I'll let Tony introduce his own thing. We're going to do half an hour each, roughly, uh, to start the debate and then open discussion. Uh, Tony, you go ahead. Okay. Okay, yes. Thank you, comrades. I was told originally that the, the uh, title of the debate would be which way forward for the left. So mm. I won't really be speaking to the title that has now appeared. Uh, not least because I don't see a counterposition between a broad left socialist movement of whatever description and a mass communist party but uh, Jack may well wish to counterpose the two right well this debate uh, has occurred as a result of uh, the prolonged discussions and debate over the merger of Labour Against the Witch Hunt and Labour in Exile Network. Uh, and Jack has written, uh, in fact, a number of people in the CPGB have written articles uh, on the fallout, uh, and I have written a couple myself, and there's also been uh, discussion in various places, including uh, the letters page of Weekly Worker. The first thing really I have to say is the allegations of bad faith, if not dishonesty, are not a particularly good way of conducting a debate. Uh, we said, and when I say we, I don't just mean me, but also the people who are involved in proposing the merger, that our aim was not to liquidate, abolish, or whatever description you use, Labour against the witch hunt, but that we wish to merge Labour against the witch hunt uh, with Labour in Exile Network, given that the two had worked very closely together. Uh, now, when Tina Berkman, who I believe is in the audience, uh, made that proposal herself, and in fact I was initially sceptical, uh, I don't think anyone accused of wanting to liquidate law, yet for some reason this became, if you like, a debating gambit, I don't treat it as anything else, uh, when myself, Esther Giles, uh, Roger Silverman and others uh, proposed it uh, at the end of November. Uh, and for some reason, uh, you've stuck with this, although it, it hasn't really impressed people. Uh, but Jack was quite clear. I mean, obviously there was nothing in the resolutions which said that law was going to be sunk or liquidated without trace, yet Jack was quite clear, and I, I quote from his article uh, in The Weekly Worker, just like LLA, they, Law and Lean, have made the fight against the witch hunt. Uh, and like the anti-Semitism smear central platform of their political work, and he says, and I quote, while the words liquidation and closing down did not appear in the motion, only someone who wants to cover up, to obfuscate, to hoodwink, 
would object to such an assessment? Well, obviously I disagree. Although Jack has spent, uh, who's uh, spent a considerable number of verbs getting his message across, uh, I reject that. Uh, there was never any discussion between myself and other comrades about liquidating law. Uh, the reason we proposed the merger was given by Jack himself, which was that law has done very little, has been paralysed even. This is his quote. Uh, and the obvious retort to that is, well, if law has done very little and has even been paralysed, uh, then why would you want to continue it in its present form? other than uh, as a kind of stage prop to bring out at rallies as a name for someone to use and so on. Clearly the witch hunt has taken on an extremely different character from that under Corbyn. I mean, it was bad enough under Corbyn himself, but Starmer has taken it to new heights. And Law was simply incapable of meeting it, not surprisingly, because the conditions in the Labour Party didn't and don't permit any any fight of any character uh, to be conducted because whenever you raise your head above the parapet you're immediately suspended and then expelled on any pretext whatsoever so if the fight against the witch hunt has been continued and i've never said that uh, such a fight needs to be abandoned then it has to be taken outside the labor party whether it's in the trade unions or in other groups that can mount their own propaganda so that's really the first point I, I want to make, that uh, the starting point of this has been entirely confected uh, for, I think, the CPGB's own purposes, but it doesn't bear much relationship to reality. Now, what is the situation that the left has faced? I mean, we had, I think, a fairly... Uh, I described the years since Corbyn was elected in... June 2015 as somewhat of a helter-skelter but the, the Corbyn movement was an extremely serious political phenomena. Uh, it was quite unlike anything I've known in the past uh, 30 years or so. Uh, don't forget we have had a, a period of unusual quiescence uh, in the Labour movement. There has been no serious national strike uh, since the miners, no challenge to the government compared to what I remember uh, as someone growing up in the movement where you had mass strikes quite regularly, mass un unofficial industrial action and so on. We've had a period which has, if you like, been broken on occasions such as with the poll tax campaign, uh, the riots in the inner cities and so on. But there's been no serious concerted political pressure from the labour movement on uh, whichever government is in power, whether it was Labour under Thatcher or, or the Tories. And the Corbyn movement, if you like, uh, the first thing to do with it was to have some form of analysis of what it was, where it came from and what its potential was. And that, I think, has been seriously lacking in the CPGB's perspective uh, and analysis. Uh, and I think that came really out in the debate we had over the June 2017 uh, election. Uh, because I, uh, Jack believes that uh, Comrade Greenstein got it wrong. Uh, and he says, uh, 
somewhat patronisingly that so Comrade Greenstein got it wrong, nothing to be ashamed of, but nothing to brag about either. And this is from his article, Something Serious is Needed. And Jack goes on to say, we never expected the election of a Corbyn-led Labour government. But if you read my articles carefully, you'll notice I didn't say for one minute I expected Corbyn to be Prime Minister. On the contrary, I always said, unless you actually got rid of at least 50 to 100 Labour MPs, it was highly unlikely, indeed impossible, uh, to believe that uh, the whole of the PLP, even if it had been a majority party in Parliament, would would have voted for Corbyn as Prime Minister. It's quite clear uh, to anyone uh, who has their bearings that a whole section of the Labour right would simply have refused to support Corbyn. I mean, I don't think anyone can really imagine that Margaret Hodge uh, would have gone through uh, the lobbies in favour of making Corbyn a Prime Minister. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I did make some predictions. Uh, and it's worth really having a look at them. Because I did say there was a possibility of Labour winning at a point in time when everybody, and I mean everybody, was predicting that there would be a landslide for uh, Theresa May and the Tories. Uh, and I, I make some quotes. I mean, Eddie Ford wrote on 4th of May, there have been some very worrying regional polls for the Labour Party, all of which strongly indicate, as we have long predicted, that the party is heading towards a crushing defeat on June the 8th. Uh, Peter Manson wrote very similarly. Comrade McNair, Mike McNair, pointed to a very substantial Tory majority. And on 18th of May, James Marshall uh, guesstimated that there could be a Tory majority of up to 150. So the CPGB certainly did not make any predictions uh, compared to my own assessment, which was that Labour can win if Corbyn is bold, and I asked on the 3rd of the June, just before the election, is Labour on the threshold of victory? And by victory, I didn't mean an overall majority. I think that would have been impossible, given that Labour had completely lost its base in Scotland. Uh, it's virtually unheard of, except in the Blair landslide years, for a Labour government to be formed without any MPs, or maybe a single MP, in Scotland. But I also had no doubt that the opinion polls were wrong and that far from Theresa May being seen as comrades in the CPGB saw her amongst others, uh, that she was not strong and stable. Uh, she was, as Jack said, with hindsight, because hindsight is a wonderful thing, uh, that she was hapless. Uh, but I, I don't really need to quote uh, from what people have said. Uh, but, for instance, James Marshall said Theresa May's hard Brexit stance and appeals to working-class national chauvinism have proved very effective. And this is well into the campaign, her calculation being that Tory Remainers have nowhere else to go. Therefore, the expectation of a Tory government with perhaps a majority of up to uh, 150. Now, Jack's... Uh, response because we had a debate 
uh, in the Weekly Worker about this when I wrote an article actually after. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to shuffle my notes. Uh, actually, after the election, uh, I pointed some of these things out and I said it was a complete mistake to simply take the opinion polls at face value. You had to look at things such as uh, the massive rallies Corbyn was held. I've never seen, for instance, the centre of Liverpool, which is where I spent much of my childhood, where you had thousands upon thousands crowding outside the Victoria Hall listening to Corbyn. And you had that all through the north. And you even had it in what are really county towns like Leamington Spa, not naturally Labour territory, where Corbyn addressed 8,000 people. Leamington Spa, incidentally, was one. It was a, 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 a gain in the 2017 general election. But Jack reprimanded me. He said, Comrade Greenstein criticises for taking opinion polls seriously. Okay, if he has another, better, more accurate method of judging the public mood outside a general election, he ought to let us into the secrets. Well, a group which is aspiring to form a mass revolutionary communist party, which is then going to seize power, would be expected to have its finger on the pulse of the working class uh, and the masses, and not to simply take opinion polls at face value, because as we know, opinion polls adjust their results on the basis of things like differential turnout. They, they predicted that very few young people would turn out, and they got that absolutely wrong. And once again, because it's not the first time, the opinion polls got it very wrong, uh, such that many, if not most people, were surprised when it, it moved from a majority Tory government uh, to no overall control. And the question really is, why was that? Uh, and that's really linked up with the Corbyn movement as a whole. That after Cameron's unexpected victory in 2015, with the second lowest vote ever for a majority government, 36%, if I'm right, uh, there was a wave of anger and an upsurge of discontent, which manifested itself firstly in Corbyn's election in the Labour Party. I know people describe it as a historical accident, but it wasn't quite that uh, much, because I know from my own son, who was 13 at the time, that he was busy on social media, Facebook and what have you, urging Labour MPs to nominate Corbyn. And that was happening up and down the country. There was mass pressure on Labour MPs to give Corbyn's uh, nomination a chance. And of course, the right didn't think he would win because it was one person, one vote. Uh, and the accepted truth uh, on the Labour right until then was that the Labour Party members themselves would never vote for someone on the left or as they saw it, the far left. And they had good reason because in the Tony Benn years, uh, what was noticeable was where the general committees of the Labour Party voted, they voted to nominate Benn. Where there were secret ballots, they tended to to vote for Dennis Healy. So there was historical experience. That was what led to the one person, one vote. And then the expansion of the electorate, very much on the lines of the Democratic primaries, to Labour supporters. Again, on the belief 
under the belief that they would not vote for a left-wing candidate and they were proved mistaken. So there was a mass upsurge in radicalism amongst large sections of the working class and the electorate. And I have to say the CPGB got it absolutely wrong on that. Now, I mean, I'm told 15 minutes to go. Uh, the way forward, well, the, what I'm talking about is the way forward in a sense. Jack says, Comrade Greenson is on record as saying the fight in the Labour Party is over. Actually, I haven't said that. Uh, certainly there is a fight, but I don't see how it can be successful given the grip that Starmer and the Labour bureaucracy now have over the Labour machine. Democracy has been abolished. Democracy, in a sense, is dead in the party. And that makes it very difficult where you have no democracy to actually fight. And you have to take account of the actual situation and not what you would like it to be. Jack says, if Comrade Greenstein and co were committed and had their sights in a serious party, that would be another matter. But what's been proposed lacks any credibility. That is a classless people's party, or more commonly, a Labour Party Mark II. Well, Labour Party Mark II is one of these phrases that the CPGB is very fond of. And that is really a way of avoiding the question as to how you ever get to a mass communist party. The idea that you can move from a small sect of 30, 40, 50 people to a mass communist party without anything in between, I think is living in cloud cuckoo land. And then Jack says, we have a fully worked out strategy. And what is this strategy? Labour needs to be refounded as a united front of a special kind and politically armed with a Marxist programme and put under tried and tested Marxist leadership. So this is a twin track strategy with the main emphasis on the struggle for the communist party. I have to say, Jack, and to people here, that isn't a strategy. That is an aspiration. That is wishful thinking. You've had that strategy for the last 30 years. And where has it got you? Absolutely nowhere. You know, if you've tried something repeatedly and hope for a different result, as Einstein said, that's the definition of insanity. It's not a worked out strategy and it's certainly not a way forward. I think we have to take advantage of what the Corbyn movement was and the anger, the burning anger of people who've been expelled, victimized, targeted as anti-Semites and all the rest of it and try and build something on that. And the idea that you can simply retreat into a sectarian bunker is not a strategy. It is actually a lack of strategy. And of course, yes, I mean, the Corbyn manifesto wasn't a revolutionary manifesto, but in its time, it was a radical manifesto, a radical manifesto that appealed to many people, such as, for instance, the abolition of student loans, which mobilised the young vote in particular. There were all sorts of things in the manifesto which had an appeal, whether it's public ownership of the rail and the utilities and so on, and to simply dismiss it as a reformist uh, program and leave it at that, I think is entirely missing. This idea that we all we need to do is perfect a Marxist program 
and then the masses will somehow leap and take it up. I think it's seriously mistaken. However brilliant your program is, if you're not in, in contact with the masses, if you don't have a connection to the masses, if you actually don't have the ability to strike a chord with them, then the most beautiful program in the world will remain just that, a beautiful program in a filing cabinet. So you actually do have to have something in between. If you like uh, the group that you're in or whichever uh, revolutionary groups are simply, uh, if you like, the cog in the wheel. You need third parties. And the idea that you turn your back on what is a broad left of people from various wings of the Corbyn movement, the, the better wings of, of the Corbyn movement, I think is absolute nonsense. If you cannot appeal to a large section of those who supported Corbyn, my question is, to whom can you appeal? Now, I, I, now, I don't have uh, the answer, but what I do know is this, that uh, the existing level of consciousness in society is such that we, we almost certainly, in fact, most certainly, will not be able to go from that level of consciousness to a revolutionary consciousness without building something and the idea that we can simply look back to the Bolshevik revolution over a hundred years ago and see that as a template for what we do now, again, I, I think is living in cloud cuckoo land. The conditions in those times, mass war, poverty, whether slogan was land, bread, peace, they simply don't apply today. The Soros autocracy was a creek and feudal aristocracy presiding over a a growing industrialization, but uh, not a massive industrialization, with a regime that was extremely weak. We face Western regimes which are extremely strong in many ways. So I don't agree that the key question today is the formation of a mass revolutionary communist party. Uh, I mean, you can say it is, but there is nothing you can do about it. And that's why the CPGB has remained the same for the last 30 to 35 years because it has no means of actually connecting where people are now with what it wants to do and if you're not able to do that you're not able to do very much which is why the cpgb remains a propaganda group primarily with, with its own paper and the paper is a good paper uh, although it has an obsession with what dead bolshevik said a hundred and odd years ago which I don't think is particularly relevant. Whatever they said, as I say, the conditions uh, have changed. But then we go on to, uh, and I don't know how I'm doing for time, but Jack hasn't, but Stan hasn't yet called five minutes, so I'll go on. The working class is an agent in revolutionary change. Uh, that is the key reason why apparently I've abandoned all class analysis. I mean, I. I, I rebut that uh, entirely. But I do want to look at some of the cardinal axioms of groups, of groups who call themselves Marxists, and ask them whether that necessarily remains true today. Where the Communist Party, say in France, held sway in the suburbs of uh, Paris, uh, the French National Front and the right do today. There has been a sea change in the European working class, not just in Britain. And yet, yet there's, there's no adaptation or understanding why it is that the British working class 
is in many ways an extremely conservative working class. And one of the reasons I believe is that the working class believes uh, has supported the state because it does get a share, if you like, of the profits, the crumbs from the table, as Lenin said, of the uh, of imperialism. We are an imperialist country, and it really is open to question as to whether the working class in imperialist countries are also or can be revolutionary. It's clear that work the working class in settler colonial states, whether it's Israel or South Africa, they clearly weren't, or, or Northern Ireland for that matter, we know, uh, are not revolutionary. And there's no reason why that also does not transfer to Britain and Europe. And so, I mean, my own analysis is the working class in the third world can be revolutionary. But in Britain and America, that probably isn't true. What is our strategy as a result? Well, I think firstly, actually, we have to have a strategy of resistance and that needs to be undertaken uh, with social movements that come up in which we can develop and politicise social movements like Black Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter, for example, and to simply dismiss them as here today and gone tomorrow, I don't think is very good. I mean, Jack also, and this was also something I complained of in his article. Uh, I don't know why he said it. He said I was tailing uh, the bourgeois Remain camp over Brexit. Uh, that's not true. That's not true. But Brexit was a major political issue throughout the Corbyn era. And I think one had to have a position on it. And my position was clear that Brexit was a project of the European right. It rested on the idea that migrant labour was a threat. And to simply refuse to take a position, I think, was a very, very serious political mistake, to be quite, to be quite blunt. I mean, you have people like George Galloway, uh, who's an ardent Brexiteer, so much so that he gets into bed with the Tories uh, in Scotland. Brexit, the Labour movement should have had an independent position on Brexit. In, in reality, the Labour left took a wrong turn in the 1970s under Tony Benn when they came out in opposition uh, to Brexit. I mean, when I criticised uh, Jyoti Brar and the Stalinists because they shared the same platform with Nigel Farage, she said, well, that's what Tony Benn did with Enoch Powell. My answer to that is simply Ben was wrong then and Galloway is wrong now. Uh, and there's really uh, no getting away from that. Do we support, uh, do we oppose Brexit because we love European capitalism? No, of course not. But European capitalism is unable to complete the project it started out with, which is the unification of Europe. That is something that is left for socialists. Yeah, five minutes, uh, Tony. Five minutes. Yep. Okay. I uh, I heed your point, uh, but I I also have some questions for uh, for Jack and the CPGB because this fetishization, this almost love affair with the idea of working in the Labour Party, hasn't always been your position. Uh, you used to have a position of opposition to what you call auto-laborism. Uh, and I quote from the, the article on auto-laborism of the 8th of July, 1999, because I think if I'm right, and you will correct me if I'm not, 
that you didn't support a vote for Tony Blair and New Labour in 1997. I suspect, for what I remember, I didn't either. Uh, and you said, the old left has been defined by one underlying characteristic, auto-laborism. Far from representing independent working-class politics, albeit in embryonic form, historically the left acts as a labor-right tail. Auto-laborism was always a variety of economism. Hence the left sects, not least the SWP, neither understand or prioritize <laughs> democratic demands. That is why, though repelled by Blair's open pro-capitalism, the old left still clings to new labour. What I want to ask you is how the new labour of Tony Blair differs from uh, Keir Starmer, uh, who by all accounts is in love with the new labour. Indeed, uh, it is clear to me, if not to others, that Starmer is aiming to complete what Blair set out to do, which is the destruction of the labour left. Uh, and, and this article goes on, indeed as the atomization, the temporary brackets, disappearance of the working class from the political stage that creates a condition whereby Blair can propose and carry through his programme. I entirely agree with you, but I agree with the CPGB of 1999, not the positions that you hold today. The inability of the left to challenge Blairism in the sphere high politics, how we are ruled, stems from a programmatic nullity epitomized by the SWP. I suspect it's not just a programmatic nullity, but it's a composition of their own, if you like, centrist politics as a whole, and also their sectarian politics as a whole. So in a sense, it's what I'm doing in some many ways is representing the CPGB of over 20 years ago against Jack Conrad of today. Although I hasten to add it was Jack Conrad who wrote the original article. So I will leave it there and uh, let the debate flow. Okay, thank you, Tony. Um, you finished in uh, just under 30 minutes, so there you go. Um, and now we're gonna get Jack Conrad in favor of a mass communist party, etc. Yeah, thanks, uh, Tony. Um, um, a good opening, stimulating. Uh, opening and uh, basis for a, a good uh, debate. So thanks. Okay, well, I'm I'm not going to go and start at your opening shots. I'm going to sort of uh, do my best to reply to you and make my own points, of course, a bit in reverse order. So I, I was listening to you. I don't know whether it's from 1997 you were talking about. E either way, whatever the particular year or whatever the particular author, that author spoke a great deal of sense. And um, I agree with it. And um, the, the point that ought to be got is that auto-laborism, um, it, 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 it describes itself. And what that is, is, is basically whatever the election, whatever the conditions, you always vote labor. Uh, in other words, tactics uh, goes out the window. And precisely what we're arguing is if you have a strategy, then you subordinate tactics to the strategy. In other words, we still have a view that auto-laborism is wrong, i.e. whatever the conditions are, you know, barring crazy stuff, uh, you always vote labor. And so precisely what we've been 
um, arguing in terms of the left is that the left, in our view, needs a serious orientation to the Labour Party. That is something that is consistent, I don't know, dating back um, a long time. And I'll, I'll quote it to you uh, because I, I sort of remember it well, is when we were in the Socialist Alliance, uh, as a minority putting forward a revolutionary position as opposed to an old Labour position, we were the ones that were arguing uh, that the Socialist Alliance should actually take our minimum demands uh, to Labour candidates, um, including sitting um, MPs, as opposed to writing the Labour Party off. So I, I would make uh, the case uh, that our approach has been consistent because we've got the same programme, we've got the, the same strategy. And so you ask the question, and to me, that's the, the sort of nub of it, you know, how do we expect uh, a mass communist party uh, to come? And to that, I've got no easy um, answer. What I've got um, is a perspective that it, it could be, it's not inconceivable, uh, that uh, yes, this small group uh, that counts its members in the tens could grow by recruiting the ones and the twos and the dozens, uh, that is conceivable. But from, 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 what, from what we actually try uh, to achieve is actually a, a regroupment um, of the left of people who say they are for a Marxist party who say they are for a communist party uh, of some uh, kind. So our, our basic perspective, it, you're quite right, is not to go straight to the masses, this little group, and say that we've got uh, all the answers and uh, follow our flag and we'll uh, uh, take you all the way uh, to socialism. Our strategy is based uh, on what we would call the vanguard of the working class, that section of the working class that can deal with propaganda. And what I mean by propaganda in this context uh, is counterposed to agitation. In other words, propaganda is about all aspects of society. It's about theory. It's about a rounded uh, uh, view. And so our, our basic proposition is that the existing left must be broken from what we call bureaucratic centralism must be broken from the confessional sects otherwise we don't have a chance uh, uh, if we satisfy if, if we're satisfied with the confessional sect then then your um how should put it uh, your dismissal um, has some foundation i.e that all we're looking to do is recruit to our own little group uh, well we are looking to recruit to our own little group i readily confess that but what we're also looking to do is break the left from this situation of where if you've got a disagreement and it could be minor or it could be major, uh, you're either expelled or excluded or you split. And for us, that's a recipe uh, for impotence, for uh, ridiculous 57 varieties of incoherence. So our perspective, yes, uh, is based on splits and fusions in the existing left. In other words, what we say is we've got to go through, through uh, the existing left. And precisely, um, you know, in terms of uh, one of your articles, I think it was your first article, Tony, 
uh, you described yourself as uh, the brave heretic who is putting forward these terrible uh, ideas. And uh, don't you know I'm standing, you know, in the shadow or in the footsteps of Copernicus and I'm declaring, God help us, that the Earth orbits the sun. And, uh, you know, somehow Jack Conrad and the CPGB want to burn you. The reality is, at least in Britain and through, you know, for, for much of the world, is what we're saying um, is heretical. Um, because, yes, we've got a left that uh, either believes in the confessional sect or when it attempts mass politics, uh, then it believes in the broad left formation. And precisely the problem with the broad left formation uh, can be seen, I don't know, in the popular fronts of the 1930s that continued to carry on today can be seen in respect, Socialist Alliance, the Scottish Socialist Party, the lean law uh, um, um, orientation uh, towards some sort of politics that would get uh, what you call, you know, a mass resonance. And basically as a law, uh, what that means is that the left is expected to silence itself i.e. awkward buggers, heretics uh, like the CPGB and myself, we're either expected to silence ourselves voluntarily or uh, we will be silenced through bureaucratic uh, methods because we spoil the show. We put forward a revolutionary uh, position uh, as opposed to the idea uh, that uh, all we need to do is, is join um, um, existing uh, campaigns and give them a leftish uh, uh, coloration. So the reason why uh, we look back to the past, Tony, is nothing to do with some sort of, how should you put it, um, yearning uh, to set up a historical uh, reenactment uh, society. It's true that we don't live in Russia and we don't live in 1917. Indeed, it's true, and I'm sure you don't need to be told, that we don't even live in 2021 anymore. Sort of, yes, we know, Tony. The point is that in terms of, you know, us keep talking about these bloody dead Russians and dead Germans, uh, for that matter, is that what we've got there is a body of theory, first of all, and also what we've got is a body of experience within which there are general laws. So famously, sorry to go on about it, you know, Lenin's pamphlet, uh, left-wing communism. What does he introduce it with? He says, well, of course, there are the specifics of the Russian revolution, which you, you've spoken about, and I agree with you. You know, an orientation to the peasantry in Britain would be truly crazy. Um, so yes, 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 I agree. A call to overthrow the autocracy in Britain would indeed be the height of uh, uh, madness. I agree, I agree. But there are still general laws. And that is what we uh, uh, are banging on uh, about, i.e. high politics, uh, as opposed to the idea uh, that what you deal with is um, um, either low-level um, um, protest uh, politics, which are great, 
or trade uh, at or out of trade union struggles, somehow the working class arrives at socialist consciousness. We believe in the history of the Russian Revolution, which is you quite rightly point out in your articles, this has been the only successful, and even then it fails, the only successful example of the working class in the form of the Bolshevik party uh, coming uh, to power. And they came to power uh, uh, not because of uh, simply what happened in 1917, Lenin returns on the bloody train and all the rest of it. It happened precisely because of the work done by Paklanov uh, in his Swiss exile, Lenin in London, Lenin in Switzerland again, in fighting their ideological opponents. With Plekhanov, it was the Narodniks, the idea of a peasant revolution. Uh, with Lenin, uh, it was economism. Um, uh, and then, of course, Menshevism, which didn't appreciate the revolutionary potential in Russia um, um, of the peasantry. So from our angle, uh, there are general laws uh, uh, in uh, uh, revolution. So I can understand why uh, you want to uh, construct a, a sort of mental Chinese wall. Uh, I don't know when the mental wall begins. Um, but, uh, uh, so when you're saying that conditions are different, we agree. But I, th I think uh, where we disagree, and we clearly do, um, is this idea of um, the absence of revolutionary potential of the working class in America and Europe. Uh, and I've read, uh, of course, my Lenin, and uh, I've never been satisfied with it. I have to say that to you. I mean, maybe when I was very young, I could sort of nod along to Lenin and because Lenin was Lenin and who the fuck am I sort of type idea. But the problem with it is, as Tony Cliff, <laughs> believe it or not, points out in his awful book on the Labour Party with his son, uh, Donny Gluckstein, the problem is, if we look at least look at Britain, amongst the first that are breaking the social peace of World War I um, are the skilled engineering workers led by uh, the extreme left, people who are uh, subject uh, to internal uh, exile from 1916. Uh, in other words, uh, what we actually have is what Lenin would have called the labor aristocracy actually acting not only economically uh, in a militant way, uh, but going towards acting politically uh, in a militant way. Now, I'm not saying that was a revolutionary situation or anything like that, but clearly we weren't dealing with politics uh, as normal. The other part of it, I'll just give it to you like this, uh, sort of as an anecdote. Uh, I, I visited um, India, uh, both politically and, a, a, and as a tourist um, over a number of uh, years. And what I'll tell you is that when you speak to members of the Communist Party of India, bracket Marxist, which is the biggest uh, Communist Party uh, in India, or the Communist Party of India, it's equivalent of precisely having a conversation with a Blairite in, Bl in Britain. So you, you can go down the road and you can pass factory after factory uh, with a hammer and sickle outside it. The management have to accept it. It basically announces, uh, this is our trade union. Uh, you can go along to um, um, fisher, fisher people and they've got hammers and sickles um, on their boat. 
But when you talk to them, when you look at the political practice uh, of the Communist Party of India, well, you go that the official Communist Party of India supported Indira Gandhi's state of emergency, right? I mean, they are right wing, you know, they are coalitionists. And if only India was the exception, that if you look at uh, the pink wave in Latin America, it's, it's rightly named, pink, pink. You know, our flag stays what? Not red, but pink. In other words, uh, their horizons, their programmatic horizons are limited to bargaining and improving the position of the poor within existing society. They, they, they aren't even reformist, right? Uh, therefore, reforming capitalism to make it a nice capitalism. And I don't know how much time have I got left. Uh, quarter an hour. Okay. So let me just finish this uh, section by saying that the problem with your strategy um, is that if you give up on the working class, you either actually have to turn to an ethical socialism, which I think is what you're putting forward. I'm not quite sure. I, you have to unite people you know, in Black Lives Matter, um, in the feminist movement, in the green movement, um, in the labor left, in the trade unions, and you, you put them together, but on the basis of an ethical appeal uh, that something must be better than this, which I don't think has got legs. I don't think that history proves it. I don't think it's a sound basis uh, to organize the working class, which I still think is the revolutionary class because capitalism relies on the extraction of surplus value. That's our sort of bottom line uh, explanation of why the proletariat tends towards collectivity as a class uh, that's constantly engaged in struggle every minute, every day uh, uh, with the boss. Okay, either that or what you were saying reminds me of uh, Maoism or some variety of it, i.e. third worldism. And I've, I think I've already answered on the third worldism that I don't think, you know, the reason why British workers aren't militant is because we're so well off and so bribed. Because if that was the case, why aren't Indian workers flocking to the banner of revolution? And they're not. Or, or workers in Latin America, and they're not. Well, are they bribed as well? It doesn't work as an explanation. So my own take on it is, is actually um, uh, not Lenin's, um, but actually um, <laughs> talking about another bloody dead Russian, is Grigory Zinoviev, Social Roots of Opportunism, where, where Lenin was talking, you know, copying um, Hobson and uh, all of that stuff. Good old Gregory was looking at the reports of German social democracy, which had a breakdown of their membership and all. He basically says, no, what's going on? The reason why you've got this opportunism is the integration of the top layer of the working class movement into the state. And uh, you've got councillors, you've got MPs, you've got trade unionists on, um, you know, negotiating boards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so that's my argument there. And, and, and therefore, if you are banking on that, I think it's illusory, but also if you're banking on it, what you're not wishing for, of course, but what you'll end up with in the best possible uh, a scenario is a repetition of the Russian Revolution. And I'm not talking about October 1917. I'm talking about what happens after 
1917, i.e. an isolated uh, uh, revolution. Um, even if it's not isolated in one country, what you're not doing is conquering the commanding heights. And that must be the basis of our strategy. So ironically, um, I'm not gonna go into the 19, um, not 19, excuse me, 2017 uh, uh, general election. I haven't got the time. What I wanted to do is use my last 10 minutes uh, basically to agree with you um, when it comes to Europe and to say that you're right, uh, that the working class, the socialist movement needs its own program. It needs its own foreign policy when it comes uh, to Europe. And you're quite right. Uh, that does not mean um, saying that um, uh, the Remainers were progressive or that the um, EU project or the EEU or whatever the hell it began as, um, the common market, uh, that this was some sort of um, progressive uh, uh, policy. It, it gave the working class an opportunity, still gives the working class an opportunity, which thus far the working class movement, precisely as you rightly point out, because of this official communist uh, grip of the national roads, which infected or was uh, 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 copied or whatever you want to call it by the Labour left, maybe the Labour left had it to begin with anyway. Either way, this disease of nationalism uh, prevented the left uh, from taking the opportunity that history did offer and still offers. And so we've been agitating very ineffectively, clearly, why don't the left start standing, doing what the bourgeois bloody parties do and stand on a common slate, on a revolutionary slate across Europe? Why the hell don't international socialists or whatever we wanna call ourselves, we'll just call it, why don't Marxists actually do what, didn't David still stand in Italy? Uh, for example, why don't we do that to demonstrate our internationalism? Why can't we form uh, a, a Marxist party in Europe, a communist party in Europe, or at least aspire uh, towards forming a communist party uh, in Europe? Why can't we have a strategy that says uh, the class struggle moves unevenly? Maybe you're right, and I suspect you are right, that when revolution, and I'm talking about revolution, breaks out, it could be in a Brazil, it could be in an India or Pakistan or wherever, a Nigeria. But in terms of a decisive breakthrough, the more likely decisive breakthrough would be in Europe rather than North America. That's a hunch, that's not a prediction, uh, but given the history of Europe, given the level of organization in Europe, that's a realistic strategy. So we agree with you. European unity cannot be achieved by the bourgeoisie unless they turn to blood and iron. And Germany doesn't seem to be any position to do that. Only the working class can. And so, yeah, we agree with you. Okay, so what about referendums? Our fear with referendums always has been, and especially when it came to Europe, is that what we do is we line up with one bourgeois dominated campaign or another, and the working class is split. Now you say, uh, you weren't acting as the tail. Well, I say you were. Uh, you can wave a red flag as, as you followed. Clearly, 
our side in, in, in no sense was hegemonic. You could argue, and I wouldn't, and I agree with you, uh, that in, when the hell was it, Tony? 73, 72, whenever the bloody Wilson referendum was, um, you know, at least the left maybe had a chance to be hegemonic in the don't join um, um, campaign. It didn't, it never was. And even if it was, it was still wrong, but at least it was there. At least uh, Enoch bloody pal offered uh, Tony Benn a platform or was it the other way round? It doesn't matter. Uh, the point would be that what we were dealing there uh, with there is something with some sort of social roots. Well, at the present time, the left doesn't have that. And what we had is the left precisely divided. So we had our Lexiteers and we had our Remainers. And what it said in the weekly work, and I'd stick to that, what it said about you, that you were a militant Remainer. And well, of course you were. Uh, we are militant Remainers, but what we are is militant opponents of referendums, which are a trick precisely to save Cameron. It didn't work, but a trick to save Cameron and to divide the working class. And that's what it succeeded in, which leads you to conclude, I think wrongly, I can see why, that these people that voted uh, Brexit are, so, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth now, maybe that's unfair, but I sort of, I'm using the word in a very casual, politically wrong way, but they are now Neanderthals, they are backward, uh, they are reactionary. And we, we reject that. The, the, the reason why uh, these people voted Brexit is because they've suffered under neoliberalism. They've suffered uh, under free trade. And we need to understand that um, and not condemn it. We can condemn the, uh, you know, the Johnsons and the Farages, absolutely. But to dismiss our class, which is divided down the middle or something along those lines, I think is a fundamental mistake. How many minutes have I got left, the comrade chair? Five-ish, six-ish or whatever, tell me. Five, thanks a lot, uh, comrade. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> so that, that's me dealing with my title, uh, uh, um, um, Tony. So yeah, we, we've, um, You've dealt with, um, you, you started with law and liquidation and all the rest of it. Look, all I'd say, Tony, is that um, in the context of what you and others have been saying in law and in other such forums, I don't think our description of um, this is a liquidationist move vis-a-vis -vis law is unfair. Uh, indeed, I mean, remember, uh, the CPGB stroke uh, LPM voted against. Now, given um, um, the limits on speaking time in these organizations, um, we told our comrades just don't, just vote against. Um, to have an argument, we haven't got the time, we're not gonna, we can't explain it, but we voted against it. And internally, this is giving away secrets, but I'm allowed to, internally, very critically, um, I, I mean, sorry, Stan, I'm again giving away secrets. I tore into Stan in, in our cell meeting, uh, Labour Party Marxist cell meeting, for being soft on this question of not challenging it on the uh, steering committee of, um, of law. And I, I, I was saying, look, this is a liquidationist move uh, because you've got so many comrades that are saying, Tony, quote, um, 
trade unions should disaffiliate from the Labour Party. The fight's all over in the Labour Party. Democracy in the Labour Party is dead. Uh, don't vote Labour, not automatically, but don't vote Labour in wherever, wherever it damn well was with um, Leadbeater or whatever, whatever. We are able to pick up the mood and um, precisely what you've got and what you've been pushing um, is a broad left socialist movement, as some halfway house you call it, but I call it um, either some sort of ethical socialism or a Labour Party Mark II. And then we get back into the more successful it is because it hasn't got a programme, the more likely if it is successful is to suffer the fate of Podemos or Syriza and just become a wing um, of the bourgeoisie. In other words, you take people on a grand old Duke of York tour up the hill and down the hill into coalitionism. What's the point uh, of that? Lastly, and this is my final point, and this is why I was uh, talking about water. I know you know it freezes and I know you know it turns to steam. And I know you can drink the damn stuff and we all need to. So I wasn't trying to teach you to suck eggs and you know that. Uh, but what I was trying to tackle is your idea that in order for people to grasp Marxism, it's necessary. They maybe they do have a halfway point or, you know, a dawning um, realization, but it's quite conceivable uh, that people can grasp Marxism. They don't grasp all the aspects of it, but they can and they can do it on a mass scale. And precisely my argument is, as a general law, if the left can get its act together, if we can present precisely not a group of 20, 30, 40 or 50, but if we could get something like, which I think is quite conceivable in today's conditions, something like the foundation of the CPGB, I know conditions are different to 1920, but something like that, then we've got a chance to break through into mass politics. That's my argument. But until we get that critical mass, uh, I, I think any attempt to engage in mass politics on a principled Marxist basis that, that matters in terms of the struggle for socialism, um, um, I, I think it's farcical. And I, I, this is my final point, Stan, thank you, is when you say that we'll have to wait 100 years for such a Marxist party, to me, what that's saying um, is that we're in for disaster, that either there will be a thermonuclear war or climate uh, breakdown, you know, um, I don't think that's the right message to send. And I, I, I hope it's not true. I hope it's not true. Uh, humanity, and I'm not just talking about in Britain, humanity uh, needs a new international and it has to be a revolutionary international. We have to break with capital and we have to break uh, from the potential of the capitalist state uh, dealing with this uh, climate crisis in a draconian uh, fashion by imposing what I've called, for the want of anything better, climate socialism. And I mean by that something equivalent to Germany and its Krieg socialismus. Thank you, Stan.